Hello. Hello, are you alright? I'm alright, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Oh, are you recording a podcast? Yep. Hello and welcome to By The Way with Rob and Leo. I am your co-host, Rob Frimston, and with me is our co-host slash special guest slash residence expert, it's Leo West. Good afternoon, Rob. No, please, please, no photos, no photos. There we go. One for the the wank bank. So, Leo, (laughs) we got up to a flyer. This happened last time as well, didn't it? I don't think I said that. No. <laughs> Leo, what the devil are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about the National the Theatre. National Theatre. The National Theatre. Absolutely. Excellent. That wonderful gr- grey construction that you see on the side of Waterloo Bridge on the South Bank. Yes. In the heart of the city. Yes. Well, it's not in the city. Uh, no, no, it's not in the city. <laughs> just just going to cu- call you up there on that one. The heart of Greater London, then. Yes. <laughs> if you prefer. I do. Good. Well, you have it, then. Thank you. That's mine. In the pocket. What do you feel about the... Um, why am I asking the questions? You're the host of this episode. Ask me. Ask me a question. What do you feel about the uh, architecture of the National Theatre? I think it looks like a big concrete mess. I really like it. Why? See, I agreed with you to begin with. To begin with... <laughs> when I started the sentence. <laughs> no, when I first saw... When I first saw the National Theatre, I thought, that is... They could have done better. What a piece of... Well, no, I didn't think that. I'm not rude. You are a little bit rude. Sometimes. No, I thought... I thought it was a little bit uh, harsh for a theatre. It's quite brutal, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> I see what you've done there. Because uh, you know... I don't know what I've done. You, you know that it, it is a form of architecture called brutalism. That, is, that has stored itself so deep in my subconscious... <laughs> did you, did you I not did actually... No, that was what I was doing. I could have sworn you did that deliberately. Uh, many things I do, that was not one of them. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, no, the, the form of architecture that it is, is a subset of brutalism. What is that known as? Oh, it's named after this guy. I can't remember if I'm honest. Jonathan Brutal. <laughs> Jonathan George Washington Brutal. No. <laughs> um, no, no, no. He invented the Ferris wheel. He did. Well, the chap who designed it was called Dennis Lesden, but he was Dennis following... Dennis Lesden. He was. That one buried it in itself in your brain as well. Dennis it? Lesden. That's a nice name. It's all right. He spells Dennis with a Y. Yenis. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yenis Lesden. <laughs> no, no. No, the D at the front of Dennis is correct. It's the I that he changed to a Y. Denise. No. Denny's, the popular Denny's. American fast food chain. <laughs> Denny's, Denny's Lesden. Lesden. No, it's sort of a George R.R. R. Martin way of spelling Dennis, I guess. Oh, because he spells things weird. He does. 
He uses, because I've read, I've never watched the TV show, but I've read the first Game of Thrones books, and it seems to me that what he does is he takes relatively normal names and just spells them wrong. Yeah. And that's how you create fantasy names. Isn't that how you create fantasy names? I'm pretty sure that's... He spells Rob with two Bs. Yeah, he does. Nonsense. He does. He spells Caitlin with a Y as well. That's, I think that's the, the same thing as this. He spells Caitlin with a Y, and so everybody pronounces it Catelyn, because, I don't know... He's also uh, he's got that character called Joffrey. It's just Jeffrey, isn't it? Just Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Just Jeffrey. Um, Ed- Eddard. That's Edward. Edward. Yeah. It's all, all my all loads of them. Just spelt them a bit wrong. Just a little bit wrong. And people and and, and, and Brienne. That's uh, Brian, isn't it? And people have bought into that. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. And he's, and he's now worth millions. <laughs> I feel like that was a joke that you didn't get. I didn't get that. That's <laughs> fine. I was going to gloss over it. Um, I haven't watched the show. That's fine. That's fine. Everyone's in it, though, aren't and they? And if I was being pedantic, uh, which which you always are, which I always am. You sorry, you said you'd read the first Game of Thrones book. I'm aware that the first one is called A Game of Thrones. The other ones are called other things, and the yeah. whole thing is called A Song of Ice and Fire. Good, right? Just checking. Anyway, <laughs> so for what purpose were you checking? For my own pedantic means. 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 And not ends. Yeah, I don't know what the ends are, but I'm quite worried. You'll find out. I'm, I'm sure I will. You'll find out. I'm not out. looking forward to that. So, in the late 19th century... The 1800s. <laughs> yeah, if you want. I do. Okay. And as we know, Rob Frimston always gets what he wants. Famously not true. <laughs> in the late 19th century, a massive movement amongst theatre makers and critics went up to create a quote-unquote proper theatre. Uh, the problem that they saw was that all of the theatre in London, and indeed Britain, was star-driven. It was it was reliant too much on celebrities to sell tickets. And I'm sure... We Heaven can, for fans. I know. We can, no, I can't imagine that being the case, can you? A, a West End show with a big-name Hollywood star in the Just to sell the tickets. Sell tickets? No, 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 no. Anyway... <laughs> Do you remember when I ran into Dominic Cooper? <laughs> I do, I do remember running into it. was on the corner of Trafalgar Square, wasn't it? Yeah, he was coming Dominic out of and, uh, and you literally ran into him. Well, he nearly walked into me. Yeah. And I moved out of the way and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Cooper. And he said nothing. And he ignored you entirely. Ignored you entirely. That was while he was playing the Libertine in the Royal Haymarket Theatre. It was. Which is currently... The Theatre Royal Haymarket. Second oldest theatre in, the, in London. The second still operating oldest well, yes obviously <laughs> yeah <laughs> again just... it's like if I, if I say oh that's the world's oldest woman you wouldn't go well it's the world's oldest living woman <laughs> well no I would I would go world's oldest living woman why because it's important is it yeah anyway the point is is that they wanted they wanted a theatre where you would go just for the sake of the theatre for the sake of the art you know not for the sake of Ed Harris in The Buried Child um, Ed Harris alive in the late 19th century. <laughs> Ed Harris. Honestly, I would believe that if you told me it was true. Ed Harris has always been with us, our Lord and Saviour. Of course, Ed Harris is immortal. Ed Harris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ed Harris, older than time itself. <laughs> uh, well, of course, he's the oldest living Ed Harris. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Ed, Ed Harris has lived for all of recorded time, but he's not the oldest Ed Harris who's ever lived. <laughs> Yeah, well, time time had to start at some point. Um, it's very philosophical. Don't get me started. 
So, <laughs> I so, wish I hadn't. Seriously, don't, yeah. So, what they wanted was somewhere you could go just for the arts. And the idea is that it to would see be... Nobody's. To see nobody. To see nobody, exactly. To see just actors. Um, just spear bearers. A show of just people carrying spears. No dialogue. Hamlet, as seen from the spear bearer's point of view which of course was Isn't more or less Ro- written Rosencrantz and yeah, 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 yeah that's exactly my point by your favourite player Tom Stoppard yeah well remembered yeah he is absolutely my favourite living playwright <laughs> no no he is just my favourite playwright um, Tom Stoppard <laughs> that's the rule of three now right we, we don't have to do that I think, I think that everything we say should now be prefaced with the word living okay um, every living thing we say but I've changed my mind <laughs> so at the time uh, the 300th anniversary of the death of William Shakespeare was coming up right we've just had the 400th yes, yes. so this this was 1916 no, was it 400 or 450 no it was 400 right. it's 400 he died in 1616 that's the fella to help you out so we're talking about 1916 well no it was coming it was <laughs> coming, coming up, up. So the point was that they were going to create a theatre to commemorate Shakespeare in Shakespeare's name where proper theatre, proper art, because Lord knows that Shakespeare's theatre didn't work on the basis of uh, anybody who, who, who was a big name, you know, Burbage, uh, didn't happen at all. Uh, the, point, oh God. the point was, yeah, what have you started? What have you started? Uh, the point was that by the time the theatre was finished, it, it, it would be commemorated for Shakespeare. But it became really difficult because there, there was this little thing that happened around 1914. I don't know if you heard of it. The sinking of the Titanic in 1912. Yes, yes, the sinking of the Titanic really put the dampeners on uh, this Shakespeare. Well, they would have done. Pun intended. Yeah. Uh, no, World War One. Of course. The First World War. The First World War. And, yeah, that really sort of harried the construction of a national theatre. Um, it was... Now, uh, you and I... I have issues with your use of the word harried, but you've said it at a point where I kind of pick you up on it, so continue. Really? Why? I'll remind you later. Okay. And on top of that, the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, not operating under that name at the time. I can't remember what the name was. I think it was just The Shakespeare Company. TSC. Right. They... That, that's a guess, by the way. I'm not sure. stating that as a fact. Sure. They had open doors in 1879, so by this point they were actually quite established. Those doors were long opened. Well, yeah. And the point was, is that, well, we don't really need this monument to Shakespeare anymore because it's happening on Stratford-upon-Avon. And also, we'd rather like to spend the money that we've got on wars as opposed to... Well, one war. Theatres. One... Well, a couple of fronts. Um, yeah, but one war. It was two a, wars, one front. It, it, no, one war, two fronts. Two like James Corden show. You remember? Yeah, that, that, that internet video sensation. Do you not remember when James Corden had to fight on both fronts at once and it all, got, <laughs> all went mad? It was a proper farce. Yeah, I also remember something else. What are you alluding to? Two girls, one cup. Oh, God! No, I was doing, no, I was doing a one-man, two governors riff. I know you I were. I doing two... Oh, God. <sighs> anyway, after World War One, and as happens after wars, the country got a little bit more conservative, and the generals from the wars become political powers. This is just a... This is it's a, a recognised standard thing, right? thing. Yeah? Like, Wellington was Prime Minister. Churchill later became Prime Minister as well. He did. Now, the construction for this particular 
National Theatre actually finally began in 1948. And when I say began, I don't mean that they actually started building anything. I just mean that it was given the go-ahead. So that was after the second of the After the, the World second Wars. World War, yes, yes, exactly. It's been a really long and bumpy ride to get a national theatre in this spot. They laid the foundations for it in 1951. Right. And then they still couldn't get the money. <laughs> they came along. So how, how substantial a foundation have they built? They built the foundations. Like, it, they had a big opening ceremony. They were like, construction has begun. And then they had no money. Do you know who opened it? Uh, it was the Prime Minister at the time, I believe. Ah. But I can't remember who that was. What I do remember is that ten years later, the Tories were back in government and they decided to cut the whole construction. So the foundations were just left there? Yeah, yeah. This big plot next to... <laughs> What? And it certainly was a plot. Well, because it was built... The foundations were laid there for the Festival of Britain, right? Right. Uh, 1951. Okay. And then this just plot... This this big plot of land was just left there because they the no money was forthcoming for the construction of the actual theatre. And then the Tories, in 1961, decided, oh, well, this isn't happening, is it? And we could use the money elsewhere. Um, for more of those wars. For more of those wars. wars those lovely wars. Oh, what a lovely war. As we know, arts tend to suffer under conservative governments. Whatever your political feelings about that, you know, I'm not here to discuss that. That's just a fact, is that conservative governments tend to dislike funding arts. We repeat, Leo is not here to discuss your political feelings. (laughs) I'm not. Please stop asking him to. (laughs) I will not respond to any letters. I just... No photos, no photos. We are giving out your home address though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's on the rider at the end. They, what they wanted to do, the Tories of the, the Tories time, of the 60s. is they wanted to take the old Vic, which is just around the corner from... From Waterloo Station. Where the National Theatre is. Yes. Yeah. They wanted to take the old Vic, Sadler's Wells. Do you know Sadler's Wells? Uh-huh. Um, which, for those of you who might not know, is a famous dance uh, a theatre studio and the RSC from Stratford the Royal Shakespeare Company you'll remember yeah from Stratford upon Avon and amalgamate the three so not only did they not want to fund a national theatre but they wanted to combine the funding for three of the greatest institutions of theatre in this country into one and then call it the National Theatre so they look like they're creating a National Theatre, right? Whereas what they're actually Without doing... Without actually spending any money. Yeah. And in fact, cutting, cutting the actual money, money that they creating have. one kind of theatrical megazord. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What, what, what was going to happen? A giant robot with the voice <laughs> of Simon Callow. <laughs> I am here to defend! Um, now, what was going to happen is that all of the members of the councils... They're all three artistic directors. They were going to put their hands into the centre and then they'd just morph into one big artistic director. Three times the size of a... Three times the size of a normal artistic director. And then they would artistically direct... three times the capacity for direction. (laughs) My God. It has three times the normal capacity for direction. It's directing three shows at one time. Anyway, the London City Council decided... Those guys. Yeah, the LCC. They decided this was not cool. And they'd been waiting ten years for a national theatre, darn it. it well, they'd actually been waiting, as I said, since sort of like the 1850s. 
uh, for a national yes, theatre. Probably a lot of those people who were originally waiting for it were, were no dead. longer with us. Yeah, I know. They never got to see a national theatre, the people sad. who originally wanted it. It is quite sad, yeah. Anyway, they decided that they would not only half fund the theatre themselves, but the, the theatre would not have to pay rent. Right. On that plot of land. Crucial. Incredibly crucial. So now the funds don't necessarily all have to be raised at once, right? Because we've already got some funding from the LCC. Who was going to be picked out to be the first artistic director? Laurence Olivier, of course. Yes. Who has a statue, as we speak, a statue in front of the National Theatre, although they're talking about moving that statue. Where to? I don't know. They just say we don't <laughs> want it there anymore. Take, we, just get, we can get rid of this thing. What, what they're saying is they want a more elaborate, proper memorial to Laurence Olivier. It's like, have you seen that statue? It's amazing. It's a good statue. Um, it's a statue of him playing Hamlet, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, holding a sword up in front of it. Or it might be Macbeth. Um, there are swords in both of those Shakespeare plays, and Olivier played both those roles. I, so, I'm going to make a bold claim here. I think maybe every single Shakespeare play involves a sword. Now, I've not that done, is I've a not done any research. <laughs> incredible but I think play. they probably do, right? I can't off the top of my head think of a Shakespeare play that doesn't involve at least one sword. Like, you can do a Midsummer Night's Dream. Nice dream. Yeah, I immediately take it back. <laughs> no, you... wait, there are no other swords in Midsummer Night's Dream. Don't, don't Demetrius and Lysander fight. Oh, no, no, no. I, like I said, that's, you can do that without swords, but actually it's the story of Pyramus and Thisbe. Yeah, that you, can't that with you can't do that See, nailed it. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. We're such nerds. Laurence Olivier was picked to be the first artistic director. Rather than wait for the theatre to be completed, they were like, we're going to form the National Theatre Company now so that they could start performing things so that essentially they could raise money. And also, like, it's jobs for actors, right? Laurence Olivier is going to be in support of that. So they operate the National Theatre Company for 10 years out of the Old Vic, right. from 1963 to 1973, just around the corner, as I said. Uh, sorry, 1976, 1963 to 1976, so 13 years. Um, the National Theatre Company are operating without a National Theatre. Exactly, yeah. But it's a step in the right direction, because for 100 years... There had not been a national theatre, nor had there been a national theatre company. Yes. Uh, they got halfway there. They, yeah. Um, and Peter Brook was around with his carpets, rolling them out. So, like, that's a joke. You didn't get that I joke, did not did get that. <laughs> I, honestly, in my head, I was singing Living on a Prayer. <laughs> How? Why? Because they're halfway, halfway there. there. Yeah, what was that right. about Peter Brook and carpets? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Is it an Aladdin joke? No. Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. The Hamlet. Peter O'Toole from Stardust. Yes. Yes, yes. That's what you picked. Hmm? Um, Hamlet... I never go with the obvious choice. Oh, of course. I mean, Commander Wolf. Um, <laughs> so, ooh, ooh, cutting. Cutting words. Um, Throwing down your gauge right there. <laughs> so, yeah. Laurence Olivier's Hamlet, that Hamlet, starred Peter O'Toole as Hamlet. Derek Jacobi... As Laertes. Derek Jacobi from ITV's Vicious. Yes, ITV's Vicious. Which I've never watched, but I feel like would be up my street. It's not is very it, good. Is it not very good? Oh, it's okay. elevated by the performances, but it's not great. Okay. And a young Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon from Layer Cake. Daniel sure. Craig, Matthew yeah. Vaughn directed Welcome Gangster to movie. The Layer Cake. Welcome to the Layer Cake. <laughs> it's Michael Gambon, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. Didn't really like that film. Only watched it once, didn't get much out of it. Anyway, carry on. Excuse me. I did think he was miscast as Dumbledore. 
We've had this discussion. We can have it again. <laughs> I'm going to goad you into having it again. Um, it's... I didn't think he had sufficient twinkle in his eye to be Dumbledore. Mm, to, to, but I, to I think he plays a very good war Dumbledore. He plays war Dumbledore well. And having watched the eighth movie quite recently, I think he's got plenty enough twinkle in his eye, personally. Oh, yeah. It's just it never really got... I do have to... I have to admit... Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Dumbledore said calmly is one of my favourite things. That's an excellent meme. Uh, I just think, you know, War Dumbledore is only half of Dumbledore. The whole, uh, the whole kind of beauty of characters like Dumbledore is that, you know, they've got the very serious side, but they're also, at the same time, like a kid. They've got this very childish, impish, mischievous nature. And I didn't think Michael Gambon ever got that. Uh, that's a shame. That's fair enough. But what I think what he did do was cagey wisdom because that's the other thing that comes out of the like J.K. Rowling in the way that she writes it she pitches it really well and really softly but Dumbledore throughout the entire series is just looking at Harry and going I could explain this entire mess in in an instant but there'd be no book in that but instead I'm gonna keep him in the dark because he's a child Minerva um, you know, like I don't know yes. if him and McGonagall ever had that discussion. They probably did. Probably. But isn't that the chap? The first chapter of the first book is that basically. Yeah, uh, when he is a, he, when he is a yeah, but they're they're discussing why he has to go to his aunt and uncles. Yeah, sure. Uh, they have to go to, but he has to go to his aunt and uncles because his aunt shares his mother's blood, and the whole point is that it was blood magic. It was sort of a. The, the love, the, the, the protection that his mother cast on him. I'm going to stop here. My Wi-Fi, uh, the name of my Wi-Fi network used to be Michael Gambon can f*** off. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Just because I didn't like his Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't think he ever saw it. No. Anyway, he was a spear carrier in Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Best place for him. Oh! <laughs> Sorry, I, I oh! think Michael Campbell's a very, very good actor. I just Jeez. didn't. I just thought he was miscast as Dumbledore. As fair all. enough. Fair enough. Also, I Speak- hate him. <laughs> <laughs> and and does he live in Chiswick? I think he walks with dogs in Chiswick. I honestly don't know. I can't remember. Someone said they've seen him somewhere. Anyway, my point is, is that this is a theatre that was created specifically pop quiz, Rob. Specifically for what purpose? The, for putting on plays. Well, yes, but because... Yeah, you said yes. London was caught in the grips of a star theatre epidemic, right? People would only go to the theatre to see the stars. And it certainly was an epidemic. Right. That's not too grandiose a term. <laughs> F*** you. Co-hosts. I was being poetic. Um, git. <laughs> Gotta come back, this is all justified. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, it was created because people were upset with the star system with people going to the theatre just to see stars and then uh, who does he cast in his first show as artistic director Peter O'Toole, Derek Jacobi, Michael Gambon Uh, and the National Theatre has had a history of turning out people who have gone in as, to use your term from earlier, nobodies and has that in hindsight sounds disparaging. And have I, I am a nobody. <laughs> well, we all are in the ter- in the eyes of the universe. Free him, and have come out. So they've gone excellent. In, <laughs> they've gone in nobodies and have come out as massive stars. And we were talking about Minerva McGonagall there. Maggie Smith is Maggie one Smith, of these. Yeah, from exactly. the lady in the van. 
from the lady in the van, yeah, which I quite enjoyed. But she, she's been a staple at uh, the National Theatre, as has, uh, for instance, Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Oh, my God. From um, Goldeneye. From Goldeneye, yeah. I've got here Judy Dench, A Kind of Alaska, which is a Harold Pinter show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. If, do you know Harold Pinter? I don't know that one. Okay. A Kind of Alaska with Judy Dench as the main role, directed by Peter Brook, is something that happened at the National Theatre. And that wow. would have been amazing, I think. Uh, she's also played uh, roles in Antony and Cleopatra um, and Hamlet with Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis from, from My Left Foot. My Left Foot. Good, good, Paul. Good. Excellent. You're going to enjoy this next bit. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> it's just names, buddy. All right. It's just names. Let's, let's try this then. Madness of King George III, of course, with Nigel Hawthorne started... A- well, Nigel Hawthorne, from Yes Minister. But what you did there was you called it the Madness of King George III. III, yeah. And of course, that's, that's a conflation of its two titles. Because the play is called The Madness of George III, isn't it? No, the play is called The Madness of King George III, I'm pretty I sure. I it was just called The Madness of George III. I could be wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter. But anyway. yeah, famously, they did drop the third from the film version. Of ITV's Vicious, Ian McKellen as well. Ian McKellen, of course, from Golden Compass. Richard III at the National Theatre, which would have been amazing, mm-hmm. I think, personally. Speaking of plays that have been made into movies, quite a few of those. Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross. Yes. Although, I think you told me this... Is it that yeah that that scene the famous scene was yes, actually that's, created? That is correct. Yeah, for the, the movie. The, the, so David Mamet also wrote the screenplay for the movie based on his own play. And yes, the 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 bit of Glengarry Glen Ross that everybody knows, the famous ABC always be closing monologue um, that Alec Baldwin does in the movie, uh, was written for the movie. That part and that monologue do not exist in the play. And I think it was written specifically for Alec Baldwin as well. That wouldn't surprise me. So be aware, fans, if you go to see the play version of Glengarry Glen Ross, in the original text it isn't there. Although I think actually now, quite often when people put it on stage, they've put in that monologue, because people expect to hear it. Yeah, it's fair enough. And it's interesting how much audience expectations feed into theatre, yeah, live theatre. Well, it's like, it's when the, was it the recent Benedict Cumberbatch? It was Hamlet, the recent Pandemic, Where they yeah. put the to be or not to be up top. Absolutely. And people got really upset about it. Yeah, so Although back to where it should be. Yeah. Well, I can see both sides of the coin, but I, th- I think that 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 production was particularly a little bit um, poisoned by the fact that people just kept taking their, their phones out yes. to film it. Yeah. Uh, Alec, Speaking of Cumberbatch, he's uh, been at the National Theatre. Alex Baldwin, by the way, from Pearl Harbor. Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> from Start of a Ten. I you, I I was going to say Alec Baldwin. It's not surprising that that role would be written for him because. The whole role of Jack Donaghy was written for yes. Alec Baldwin yes, as well, having just read uh, Tina Fey's. And excellent he is. Also, he's incredible. He's, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Frankenstein, ben- Benny Cumberbatch as Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Yes. He alternated it with, who was the other guy? Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny and Lee Johnny, Miller. Johnny Lee Miller, of course, is also now playing Sherlock Holmes. Yes, in, in uh, elementary, elementary. Alongside uh, oh, Lucy Lewis Watson. And I, I, obviously I don't know, but it's my own personal pet theory that, that the producers of Elementary, who, were, of, who must have been fans of Sherlock, like <laughs> went to see Frankenstein and were like, oh, that Benedict Cumberbatch is great. It's such a shame we can't uh, have him in our version. Like, who else are we going to get? What about the other guy on stage? <laughs> he could do it. Yeah, why not? 
Warhorse. Um, of course, that's become a movie. Didn't that have Benedict Cumberbatch in it, it as did. well? And Tom Hiddleston. Well, there we are. And uh, Eddie Marzan. Yeah. I'm a big fan but of But that Marzan. started at the National Theatre. Yes. And uh, your man, Dominic Cooper, Dominic started Cooper his career, career from there. Mia. Yeah. He started his career there in the History Boys, or kicked it off. More. Yes, in the original cast of the History Boys, yeah. which then went on to be the same cast in the film version. And, in fact, another person you've talked about, James Corden, as well. Point is... James Corden from... The Late Late Into the Woods. <laughs> With James Corden, yeah, Into the Woods, fine. Um, One Man, Two Governors, of course, was at the National Theatre as well. But my point is, is that it was created... Because of this star system thing, yeah. and has now sort it's of now, yeah. fallen into churning out stars. Did you see One Man Two Goodness? I did not see One Man Two Goodness. See, I saw it with an understudy. So I saw it. I think I think it was after James Corden was in it and before Rufus Hound was in it, and it was an understudy doing it. So it was a matinee, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, one thing about it that that wound me up was the fact that it used audience plants. Which right, I, which I never really like as a no, thing. No, fair enough. Because um, they had like at one point someone was was brought up from the audience on stage, seemingly a member of the audience, and subjected to all kinds of farcical things. They got sprayed with a fire extinguisher, right. all this kind of stuff, and then it transpired that that person was a part of the company. And you know, it's like, well, it would have been funnier if they weren't, but whatever. But the thing that I found more weird was at one point. So the character is, is delivering a monologue, but it's very fourth wall breaking. You know, he's basically addressing the audience directly. It's about how hungry he is, and he basically asks if anyone in the audience has got, like, anything that he can eat. And somebody throws something to him. It's not they throw it. Someone, someone basically says, they've, someone basically offers him a sandwich, and he makes this whole thing about, like, he does this whole thing about how, like, you, you know, you're not supposed to shout out, like, it's a... It's, it's a theatrical convention. There's a, you know, there's something called a fourth wall. There's all this hilarious riff, and then like asks the person what's in the sandwich, and they say something like watercress or something, and then does a joke about how how middle class they are. Keeps calling back to this the whole way through, and at the time I was like, ah, oh, this is a funny riff between the the, the actor and this audience member. But and then it, later found out it's completely scripted. Oh. If you look in the script of the play, that is all scripted, and that person who seemingly, you know, shouts out from the audience is a plant. And it's never addressed. It's like, if you hadn't read the script, you would have thought that was spontaneous. And I was just like... I don't know how I feel about that, though, because, like, they pulled it off, obviously. They made you believe that it yeah, was... Yeah, but I just... I didn't... I just felt like I'd been hoodwinked into thinking I was watching a bit of very clever, fast, witty improv, which I wasn't. I was watching an actor deliver a scripted script. lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's... It, it, again, it's interesting. It comes back to this thing of audience expectations mm. doesn't it uh, I imagine your expectations uh, as someone who is an improv comic from time to time will have been slightly different to anybody else's I would have said mm. because you're viewing you immediately thought oh this this is an amazing piece of improvisation and everybody else in the audience would have been oh this is incredibly clever for this character to do this but like in the same way that, you know, you go and see um, uh, The Play That Goes Wrong. There's a bit in The Play That Goes Wrong where they built... I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't no. seen it. So they've got this set created and it's got two levels um, and there's a an ottoman kind of a thing on wheels on the upper level. And then at some point in the play, the supports for that upper level break 
and the ottoman starts to slide down towards the audience mm. and the actor is holding it there like desperately going please don't let this fall on the audience and in my head as somebody who's worked in theatre I've got they have to have safety redundancies like there's something sure, in place that's going to stop that from ever falling on row A they're not in danger but at the same time, it's incredibly clever to watch that and go, what you're doing is you're creating this emotion of um, terrified, hysterical laughter from the audience. It's the suspension of disbelief in that regard. So if you went back and saw the show a second time, you'd go, oh, God, that was really clever. I thought that was real. Hmm. But you wouldn't necessarily go as anybody other than people who are trying to become a decent improviser. Um, or indeed are a decent improviser already. I don't, I don't want to insult you. How dare you? You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily go... Do you see what I'm saying, though? You'd I go, like, that's clever, that's really clever. I, I take your point. I just, I just felt there were laughs that, that, that were got there that were basically stemmed Cheap. from the fact that people thought yeah. that the guy was making this up on the spot, and they wouldn't have got those laughs or wouldn't have got them in the same way had people known, had that interaction been happening with another character on stage. But this Which is, is essentially what you know, because it would. But this is what I'm saying. Like you're you're talking about this in terms of getting laughs, whereas an audience, uh, uh, anybody else might not even talk about it like that. They might just go, "It was funny." Sure, no, I, 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 mean? I just for me, I would have I, I would have preferred it if they'd if they'd like. If they'd had genuine audience interaction, yeah, like, encouraged genuine. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that your uh, your opinion is incorrect. I'm just saying it's interesting that you've got to bear in mind uh, the different mindsets of people when they come to the theatre and you've got to bear in mind, oh, this is Benedict Cumberbatch playing Hamlet, so we're going to put the speech at the front yeah, because no. people want to film it yeah. kind of thing. And I completely understand that most people probably wouldn't care even if they knew it was scripted. To me, I it, it bothered me. Yeah, no, I, I, my immediate reaction was, oh, that's a bit cheap. Yeah. Um, and let's face it, James Corden won a Tony for it and it won all kinds of things. So that, demonstrably, most people didn't care. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like, I imagine the Tony board probably did a little bit more research than just going to see it once. Yeah, I which hope. is all I've done. I hope, anyway. <laughs> but no, it's not all you've done because you went and read the script. I didn't read the whole thing, I just read that bit to check. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but that's my point. You did go and follow it up. I did. Anyway, a sidebar... Uh, here's another Harry Potter star for you, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes from Wallace and Gromit: Curse of the Well. Oh my God! How do you do that so quickly? He's the voice of the villain. Ah, that's such a Quartermain. deep cut. Somebody Quartermain. Victor Quartermain. Oh my God! Did you watch it last night? No, I've seen it within the last couple of years. It's very good. It's a really good film. I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying it. I like I've only all the kind of Harrow Homer. Hammer Homer. The Harrow Homer. Harrow Homer. We must be no. No. Um, that was your mind, not mine. Hammer, Hammer horror. horror. Yes. Hammer horror. Anyway, uh, he was, and this is one of the shows that really influenced me as a, a, a person interested in theatre. Um, <laughs> what, what a strange way of phrasing it. <laughs> well, I don't know what to call myself at this point. A theatre enthusiast. Right, fine, sure. Shorter, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> Again, I will hurt you. I don't doubt it. He played Oedipus. Uh, Ray uh, Fiennes Ray Fiennes yeah Ray Fiennes yeah it was a really excellent production and one of the things that I've come to again expect from the National Theatre is incredible set design so I go along to this production of Oedipus and all it is is this one archway in the middle of the very famously they have a revolve in the National Theatre they do uh, which was so 
uh, difficult to control when they first opened in the old Vic that they didn't call it the Revolve, they called it the Revolt. Ha-ha! Oh, uh. Actors. <laughs> anyway, um, it was just this big archway on a Revolve, and I was like, well, this is a little bit disappointing. But it was incredible, because this one archway... It revolved. Well, yeah, it did revolve, but this one archway must have had like eight, like eight or ten different entrances and exits built into it. Okay. So that as you were watching, they could use sight lines, and as you were watching, people would just appear, and you didn't see them walk in as usual from like stage left. They appeared in the arch, and wow. it was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Uh, it was pretty awesome. I enjoyed that a lot. And the other one that I've completely forgotten. I didn't see this one live, but the other one that I've completely forgotten about Judy Dench when, when we were talking about her was a little night music, of course. Uh, send in the clowns. Send in the clowns, which is considered. Don't bother. They're here. They are indeed. We are, if if nothing else, clowns. A couple of clowns. Anyway, that's considered a definitive uh, sort of version of that song, if you like. Oh, Judy Dench's version. Mm. Yeah, Judy Dench's oh, version of that. And it, in fact, uh, Oscar winner Judy Dench. She's Oscar winner for. She won the Oscar for what? For it's seventeen minutes. I think it's less than that. I think it's like seven, seven or eight minutes. Seven minutes. No, yeah. maybe. Of course, Judy Dench sang "Send It the Clowns." That her version of "Send It the Clowns" uh-huh. at uh, Stephen Sondheim's eightieth uh, birthday celebrations. Well, there you go. It's it's Marilyn so, Monroe's happy birthday, <laughs> Mr. President, all over again. <laughs> No, it's not. Are you sure? Don't be silly. Was it equally erotic? No. It's sad. It's very sad. Oh, Judy Dench and Stephen Sondheim. Sounds pretty hot to me. Other musicals, starting with Stephen Sondheim, Sunday in the Park with George. Sunday in the Park with George, Sunday in the Park with George, Sunday in the Park with George. Sorry, I'm doing a vocal warm-up. <laughs> okay. And uh, Oklahoma with Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman from Swordfish. Good. Excellent. Uh, for a second there, I thought you might say X-Men Origins, no. colon, Wolverine. No, you never go for the obvious one. Yeah, but that's like the least liked of the his performances. With good reason, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's not his fault. Eh. No. No, it's, no, 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 it's, the, no. it's the scriptwriter's fault. And whoever and made whoever, the whoever decisions. Made the CGI clause. Anyway. Oh, Logan is coming out soon as it well. Is. I'm very excited for that. Trailer with the Johnny Cash hurt. London Road. He's got quite a set of pipes, Hugh Jackman. He's quite the song and danceman. He is a song and danceman, uh, if you want to put it like that. I do, I do and I have. <laughs> you do. You always get what you want, don't you? Famously. Famously. Uh, London Road, as the, well, which the, is the, the verbatim, verbatim musical. Yeah, yeah. Verbatim musical theatre. They did a film, didn't they? With they did. Tom Hardy and people. I, had, I didn't Tom, see it. Tom I really Hardy. wanted to Tom see Tom Hardy it. from Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> He's not in Star Trek Nemesis. He is. He's the clone of Picard. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Tom Hardy. And coming up, the next big show that's going to be there, of course, is Angels in America. Right, yes. With Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield from those two episodes of Doctor Who, Daleks in Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks. (laughs) And Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane, the voice of Timon? He is the voice of Timon, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Nathan Lane from The Producers. I believe you. (laughs) It's fine. No, Nathan Lane from Mouse Hunt. That's the one. <laughs> Mouse Hunt. There Billy it is. Evans. There it is. Oh my God, that movie. Yeah. I had entirely forgotten about that movie there until you just mentioned it. Why did you mention it? Because Nathan Lane. Okay. We mentioned earlier the architecture. Pr- Prince Charles uh, famously said when they turned it into the royal... Because technically, 
It's the Royal National Theatre. Did you know this? They don't I use that. I did not know that. Yeah, they don't use it at all. Usually when people get the Royal, they, they use it, they try to use it all the time. Like a Royal Warrant, so put it as a big old, yeah, big old badge of honour. Exactly. But yeah, the Royal National Theatre, uh, when they made it into that, uh, Prince Charles disparaged the architecture. He said it was uh, a... Uh, this is paraphrasing, I won't get the exact quote, uh, but he said it was uh, a way of hiding a nuclear power station in the heart of London. Right. Now, you see, I didn't realise it was a nuclear power station. No, it, it was a joke. It looks like a nuclear power you, station. You were making a joke. No, Prince Charles was making a joke in 1988. What was the joke? The, the National Theatre looks like a nuclear power station. I don't get it. Because it's big and concrete? Is there a punchline here that I'm not, I'm not getting? No. Right. It's Prince Charles. He wanted to call the Shard the Salt Shaker. So why do they call it the Royal National Theatre if it's a nuclear power station? It's not a nuclear... Oh, Rob. Oh, Rob. <laughs> it's not a nuclear power station. Is that dangerous? It's... To have so many actors around Do you know what? Yes, station. it is dangerous. Yes. Why do you think so many famous actors come out of the National Theatre? Because the radiation genetically changes their acting abilities, so they come out super actors, not just actors. Oh, wow. Because of gamma ray exposure. So it's like a kind of, it's a kind of Bruce Banner Incredible it's a Hulk Bruce, situation. It is exactly that. Is that why Judi Dench never gets angry? Yes. <laughs> that is why she never gets angry. Wow, I had no idea. Or that's why when she gets angry, she just shakes and starts crying, as opposed to... Uh, a, a, Yelling, although she does do quite a bit of yelling in the James Bond movies. Come she, to think she, about. she says she drops the f bomb in Skyfall. She does. I think I see on the f bomb in any Bond film. Well, Skyfall it was gr- gritty, wasn't it? Because Ray finds near the drops a C bomb in Inspector, but they swerve it. They do. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I wish I'd just said it. So, the National Theatre has three massive spaces: one, the the Olivier Theatre, the Littleton Theatre, and, and the Nuclear Power Station. The Nuclear Power Station. I think is it the Dorfman Theatre. Potentially. And then they had a fourth one recently as well, which was called The Other Space, or right. The Red Shed, by some people. But it was uh, recently deconstructed. Right. Which is a shame. Ironically, do you know what that space was for? It was... Wait, hang on. You, the clue, you've given me the clue, it's ironic, so I can, I can reverse engineer this. Yeah, do it. Don't reverse engineer the gamma rays, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't reverse the polarity of anything under any circumstances. Hang on, right, so it's, so it's, been, it's been taken down, and it's ironic it's been taken down. No, it was ironic that it was constructed in the first place. Was it something to do with deconstructing theatre? Because that would be ironic, wouldn't it? In a way, yes. But my point is, is that it was created as a way of moving away from big name, big ticket um, productions right. and doing smaller productions. Right. So the National Theatre was, its entire raison d'etre at the beginning was... was to- Move away from star-led theatre. Exactly. And then they had to create their own space. they have summarily failed. <laughs> they had to create their own space to move away from star-led theatre. Right, I understand the irony now. There you are. Solid irony. <laughs> you don't look impressed, Rob. I'm not. No? <laughs> Good. No, I'm not, not impressed with you. I'm not, I'm not impressed with the, the, nas- the Royal, Royal National, National Theatre. <laughs> I'm not impressed with their shenanigans. Shenanigans. Oh dear, all I've done there is repeat the... I've added nothing, Peter. Yeah, that's the National Theatre. That's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about it. Right. Have you got anything you want to say about it? I don't think I do. Do I have any questions? What's your favourite thing about the Royal National Theatre? 
that it exists. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I like, actually? Do you know what I like? That it's not a West End theatre. That technically, it's an off-West End theatre. And I think is that's that important. Just a, is that just because of its location? What is it that classifies a theatre as a, a, a specifically a West End theatre? Well, it started off that it was just in the West End, right? Which the National Theatre, as you say, is not yeah. in the West End. But there are like four or five companies, don't ask me to name them, I get it, but there are like four or five companies that own all of the West End theatres. All of them. And that has pretty much, that's, that's important, I think, that the National Theatre is not owned by one of those companies. Sure, yes. Um, one of them is Andrew Lloyd Webber's company, the really useful group. There's the NIMAX group. There's ATG, who nobody... Bastards. Owns, of course. <laughs> <laughs> they, they own 1,100, uh, I think, 1,100 theatres worldwide. Wow. Uh, as well as um, uh, some very big ticket money makers, for instance, the Palace. They own the Palace Theatre. Okay, yeah, that's a big one. Um, and there's Cameron Mackintosh's company. Um, between them, they are known as the West End Mafia. Right. And they literally, you know, they talk to each other, they set things up, much like the Freemasons did with uh, masonry back in the day. Uh, but my point is that it becomes incredibly hard uh, to break in uh, without a foot already in the door in one of these companies. I, because I, I don't know this to be true. I'm extrapolating here. Is Andrew Lloyd Webber's company called the Really Useful, is Really Useful Group? Really Useful Group Limited. Is, is the Really Useful part a reference to the Thomas the Tank Engine stories by the Reverend Wilbur Audrey? I, I have no idea. I, the reason I say this, because famously one of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals, I assume one of his earliest ones, is Starlight Express. Mm-hmm. The train-based musical where it's just a bunch of people on roller skates, yeah. which was loosely based on the Railway series by Reverend W. Audrey, which oh were the Thomas the Tank Engine books. And of course, in the Thomas the Tank Engine books, the, like, the engines, oh, there's a whole, this whole weird thing about how they want to be really useful engines. Oh my they God. Want, the fat controller needs really useful engines. It's this weird kind of sense of utility. Like They're not bothered about being happy, they just want to be really useful and thus not obsolete. Anyway. So the, what you're saying is Andrew Lloyd Webber is the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, basically, and Jack the Ripper, <laughs> and Jack the Ripper. No, I just, I just wonder if that's, if that was it. Like, maybe it is. The phrase, I don't know. The phrase "really useful" being a, a, a common refrain in those books, on which Andrew Lloyd Webber based one of his musicals. It could be nonsense. I'd Quite say. potentially. Um, it would seem a weird coincidence if it is a coincidence. Yeah, it's yeah, it would be a weird coincidence. And the thing is, is that. I think it's actually quite a good name for a company anyway. If you're young and you're starting out and you don't actually fully know the extent of what you want to do with your life, yeah. calling something really vague like a really useful group. Because mm. a really useful group could be a theatre company, as it is, or it could be providing scaffolding. I don't know. That's true. It's just a useful umbrella term, I think. If you were to start a theatre company, what would you call yours? Leo West Creations. Are you saying that because it's actually happened? Yeah. <laughs> That's an incredibly unimaginative title. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, I'm not having a pop, it's just... Well, the other, the other side of the coin from a really, really useful group is uh, Theatre Mac... Uh, sorry, uh, Cameron Macintosh Productions. Yeah, Limited, sure. Which is just... So you've gone down the Macintosh Canada. route. I've gone down the Macintosh route. Yeah. Um, no, if I were to start a theatre company, I don't know what I'd call it. Well, choose one now. Choose and one And I'll now. hold you to it. No, it's too contextual. It would depend on who I created it with and what, what, why I did it. Spoiler sport. Hmm? Spoiler sport. What would you call yours? Michael Gambon can f*** off. 
and then I would try and exclusively hire Michael Gambon. <laughs> <laughs> I would po- <laughs> I would posit that he's an important enough star <laughs> that he can turn down your offers just based on the fact <laughs> if the theatre company explicitly insults him in that name just based on the fact that you insult him well they live to rue the day <laughs> Michael Gambon in a Michael Gambon can f*** off production of Hamlet I'd pay to see that but that, that just sounds like a parody from the Edinburgh Fringe. Do you also, know he mean? wouldn't be playing Hamlet, he would be playing a spear carrier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd have cast him as... Um, oh, what's the uncle called? This Claudius. Called? Claudius, I thought it was Claudius. I'd have cast him as Claudius in Old Hamlet, personally. Well, it's not up to you, is it? My company. <laughs> I saw uh, David Tennant as Hamlet with Patrick Stewart as Claudius in Old Hamlet. Yes. Amazing. Uh, he was very I'll good. Bet. I saw some of that when they did the TV version of it. I saw some of that. Right, wasn't the same. Uh, David Tennant, of course, from, from... Uh, the Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists. And no, no, no. Patrick... no, 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 no. I can outdo you on this one. Please do. Uh, David Tennant from Taking Over the Asylum. Oh wow! The BBC's Taking Over the Asylum. Right. Yes, that's right. And uh, Patrick Stewart from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Okay. Okay. I'll take that. Acceptable. Acceptable. Excellent. Yeah, Ro- Robin Hood Men in Tights the is Mel the Mel Brooks one. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very funny. It is. It's less funny now than when I first watched it, but I have watched well, I it. Mean, that's true of most things. Several you times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I have watched it several times. It's well, good. It's done its job. Unlike other Robin Hoods, I speak with a British accent. <laughs> good. Well, I'm glad we've rounded this off with a tribute to Mel Brooks' <laughs> Robin Hood Men in Tights. God. Yeah. So, that uh, is so, so that's my favourite thing about the National Theatre, to answer your question, is that it is not a West End theatre. Excellent. What's your least favourite thing about the National Theatre? Um, that they haven't put on one of my shows yet. <laughs> Sick burn, bro. I mean, it wasn't really a burn, it was more of a request. I think it was a burn. I think they'll take it as that way as well. <laughs> Listen, they feel about you the way Michael Gambon feels about me. <laughs> My, uh, in the, they don't know about me. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea about me. Um, <laughs> Brutally, yes. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for joining us. That's, uh, that's fine. I was talking to the audience. Oh. <laughs> you, you have to be here. <laughs> I don't. I'm a special guest. We're in your fucking house. <laughs> okay. Thank you, audience, for joining us. I have been uh, Rob Frimston. And this has been our special guest. Leo West. Leo West. Co-host, special guest, raconteur. Who was um, a resident expert earlier. resident expert, raconteur. All these things. Thank you for joining us. Uh, join us next time when we'll be talking about... Waterloo, Waterloo Bridge. Bridge. Yes, Waterloo join us Bridge. next time we'll be talking about Waterloo Bridge. Until then, that was the end of the show, by the way. What? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> that was Weak. fine. Let me get this right.
Um, 16. And now an interlude while Leo gets this right. Do, do, uh, do, do, oh, do, I, do, do, <laughs> I was, I was going to do Spanish play. Right. Oh, we're I've back. Got, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> 